0: Will rise and fall. The world will feel like it's crumbling around us. There will be times where we feel unable to carry on. Our most trusted people will hurt us. But God is still in control. God is still good. God is still providing. God is still faithful. Our God has been, is, and will be. Greatest strength in our lives, we can be still because God still is. Good morning, good morning, Riverview West Side. Uh, my name is Noah Filippiac. Um, I am a guest here today. For those of you that are also guests, welcome. I know some of you. Uh, I lived in Lansing 15 years. Uh, Hey Frank. Um, And uh, I I founded Crossroads Church over in Old Town. I've been friends with Noel, hiking in for a long time, doing a lot of networking work with church planting. And now I'm planting a church in Grand Rapids called Mosaic Church. And uh, this is my first Sunday away from Mosaic. We're three months old so I have, it's like if you're a parent and you're, you're, you leave your child home alone for the first time, it's a little bit how I feel this morning. So I left my phone down in the front row so that I'm not, uh, you know, checking. Just let the fires blaze. I can't put them out, you know. I'm super thankful to be here. It's really good to be back um, in Lansing and just to be a part of what God's doing here uh, at, at Riverview. So um, we're going to be in Daniel 5 today, and... Um, we're looking at the story of uh, Belshazzar. And um, can you guys, I'm not sure if my slides are, there they are. Okay, we're good. A little, uh, I'm just a guest, so forgive the, forgive the little little bumps. Um, Daniel 5, we're looking at the story of Belshazzar and this feast he had. This is not a, a commonly known as much, maybe Bible story that we learn in Sunday school or whatever. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know them. And the fiery furnace, we know Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, but Daniel 5, Belshazzar's feast, Rembrandt made a painting uh, about this story. So, this is a famous painting of Rembrandt's, uh, Belshazzar's feast. The great theologian, uh, Johnny Cash, uh, has a song called Belshazzar, which is awesome. Uh, and so, look that up on Spotify on your way home. For he was weighed in the balance and found wanting. Uh, his his kingdom was divided. It couldn't stand. He was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His houses were built upon the sand. That's straight from scripture. Uh, most of that song by Johnny Cash is straight from what we're going to read here uh, in, in Daniel 5. So, we're going to get started uh, with actually a verse from the end of Daniel four. You guys would have went over this last week, uh, but the end of Daniel four it ends, and the the author of Daniel does this on purpose, where uh, he's leading into Daniel five with the end of Daniel four, and uh, it says, "Now I Nebuchadnezzar." This was uh, the the great king that, that took out Judah, that 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 the the the, the most well known powerful king of Babylon that we've we've been reading about throughout the book of Daniel. At the end of his life, uh, he gives praise. Uh, he says, "Now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything He does is right and all His ways are just. And those who and those whose walk uh, who walk in pride." I'm gonna read from here, it's a little easier. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, this is not something you think you would hear from a pagan arrogant king who is an enemy of God's people. But at the end of God's, at uh, the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life, he comes around. I mean, he, he humbles himself before God. You, you could say he, he found faith in, in God in the, in the Old Testament sort of way. It's really an amazing story. And, and the end of Daniel 4, it ends on purpose with this line, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God is able to humble. Because it's setting us up for someone who walked in pride. <laughs> it's setting us up for someone who God had to humble. Now, you gotta remember, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, who we're gonna read about today, these were the most powerful kings in the ancient world. And when you have power, it is hard to humble yourself. Okay, we, when you think about the ancient kings and queens, modern day world leaders, people that have massive influence in corporations or in politics, It is hard for someone in power to humble themselves. We all have power, though. We all have power. We are all kings and queens of our own lives. We all have a kingdom, the kingdom of Noah. That would be my kingdom, and I am the king of it. And I have to decide what I'm going to do with that crown. And you have to decide what you're going to do with that crown. And if we look at the course of history, particularly in the book of Daniel, we see that power corrupts. We don't like to admit that, but power tends to corrupt. When you get power, you tend to not listen to people around you. When you get power, you tend to think you're always right. And that's what we're going to see with Belshazzar. And if we're honest, we're going to see a lot of ourselves in this story. So what happens from chapter 4 to chapter 5 is is the book of Daniel skips four kings. So Nebuchadnezzar had sons and grandsons. Belshazzar, the text calls him a son, but the Aramaic word can also be translated grandson or descendant. Belshazzar was a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. We skip four kings and we're jumping into Belshazzar's reign. We know about Belshazzar from history. Uh, His dad was his dad was named Nebonidus. Now that's, that's a great name. I don't know how some of these names don't stick around. You know, lots of, I bet lots of people here are named Daniel. Nobody here is named Nebuchadnezzar. We, we, we need to bring some of these names back. Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and he made his son Belshazzar co-regent with him. This is kind of boring historical stuff, but it applies to our story, because his son Belshazzar has this great banquet to kick off Daniel chapter 5. And in this great banquet, the text tells us there was a thousand nobles and they were drinking wine. Now, uh, commentators tell us that historically a massive feast like this by an ancient pagan king was probably—I see we have have kids around, so I'm going to I'm going to uh, maybe use some code here. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of uh, things you should only be doing in marriage uh, going on uh, at these feasts. And it, he, he had a thousand of his, his nobles with them. Uh, the text is also going to tell us that he had his wives and his concubines with them. What we know that this feast would have been lots of drinking, lots of drunkenness, heavy drunkenness, very, very sexualized. And what the text tells us specifically is that it was direct blasphemy. So the purpose of this feast was for Belshazzar to rally the troops. It was maybe he was trying to boost morale. Some might, some think maybe this was even the feast where he became like king, king, because Nebuchadnezzar may have died during this time. And we'll talk a little bit about what was going on historically Uh, during this time. But let's read verses two through four. It says, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Now, this is very, very intentional. We are going to mock and defame the God of Israel as, as, much, as, we, as much as we possibly can. You have to understand about the Old Testament temple. If you read back through uh, the Old Testament, there's whole books of the Bible, whole chapters written about how this temple was built. And about how each of these goblets and each of the pieces of the temple were saved sacred. This wasn't uh, Nehemiah's rebuilt temple. Uh, This was the temple. This was Solomon's temple. These were the artifacts of the temple that when Babylon came into Judah and they, they, they sacked Judah, they took everything They took everything back, and here the king is having this, this, this gross, crude, uh, very sinful, libacious feast using these sacraments. And it, and, it, and it would be like today if, let's just say, and we don't, but let's say we had the actual cross of Jesus. Somehow it was preserved, and, and imagine how sacred of a race relic that would be if the cross of Jesus was preserved. And trips to Israel, that was the number one attraction. And a world leader today took the, the very cross of Jesus and publicly defamed it with, uh, with a party such as this. And uh, it, 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 it put it on YouTube. It was, X, it was an X-rated video on the cross of Jesus. Christians would be furious. Christians would be heartbroken. Christians would say, how could this have happened? How could this have happened to such something so sacred that we hold dear to us? So this is what's going on here in this party that Belshazzar is having with with the stuff that that made up the temple. Now, um, what's going on around Babylon right now is the Babylonian kingdom is crumbling. So this was the world power of the day. And what's cool about Daniel 5 is we have an ancient Greek historian Named Herodotus, also a great name, and he dates this feast specifically in his historical writings. He dates this feast to October 12, 539 BC, and he dates it there because it's two days after Persians conquered modern Baghdad, which is a part of the Babylonian kingdom. So Babylon's falling; Persia is moving in. These are historical facts. You you, you can go dig them up in the ground, and you can find where these things actually happen. So two days prior to this, Belshazzar may or may not have known about it. There was no Twitter at the time. There was no newspaper. Uh, He may not have known that 50 miles to the north of him, Baghdad was just taken out by Persia, and Persia was on their way to him. Maybe he knew this. Maybe he didn't know this. But the fact is, things were crumbling all around him. And you have to think that the king of an empire would know that his kingdom was crumbling all around him. And so my question, before we look at what Belshazzar did when his kingdom was crumbling all around him, is what do you do when your kingdom is crumbling all around you? Where do you go? Because when everything's going well, it's really easy to say, I don't need God, I don't need the church, I don't need others, I've got it all under control. But when things start to crumble and things start slipping out of your control and struggle and suffering and trauma comes, where do you turn? Do you humble yourself or do you double down? Belshazzar doubled down. Here's what Belshazzar does. When things are crumbling around him, he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a thousand of my nobles together. I'm going to get my wives and my concubines, and we are going to get numb. We're going to numb it out. We're going to numb it out with every numbing agent that our culture has. We're going to feel good. We might die tomorrow, literally, or tonight, but we are going to feel good. We are going to numb it out. And what he's doing, I think what Belshazzar is doing by bringing out the the articles of the temple, of the temple of Judah. This would have been one of Babylon's greatest victories. We took out Judah. We got all the stuff of their temple. Remember when granddad did that? Remember how powerful we were? And he's bringing out the goblets, kind of like he's reliving his glory days he's reliving his high school football days. He puts on his high school football jersey and he it a little tighter than it used to be. He's like, remember me? Remember when I was a star? Remember when I was so strong? Remember when I was so powerful? You don't remember? Just drink a little more and then you'll remember. Just drink a little more. Just have a little bit more numbing to numb away the crumbling. Belshazzar thought that the old ways would fix things. He thought that the familiar ways would fix things. Let's go back to when we conquered Judah. That'll fix the crumbling kingdom all around me. Some of us in this room today are doing that. Things are crumbling and we keep going back to the old familiar ways to fix things. The old habits, the old addictions, the old ways of numbing. And we know it really won't work but we keep going back to it and back to it and back to it. I think that's what's happening in our text. So verses 5 and 6, they they give us Belshazzar's oh crap moment. I know my daughter's 10. She told me not to say that. Some of you kids, I'm sorry. I'll get in trouble when I get home. Though I feel like at Riv, maybe... I know some, you know, there might be other words that some of you might use for this moment, too. I'm just going to leave that between you and the Holy Spirit. Okay. But this is Belshazzar's, oh, crap moment. It says, suddenly, he's having this huge party, thousand nobles, wives, concubines, lots of revelry. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace, writing on the wall, this disembodied hand, The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees began knocking. (laughs) Can you remember a time you were that scared? Like, really, 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 really scared. I had a great idea. Back in 2015, I took a month off of ministry, I took a little mini sabbatical, and for five days, I went camping up in the woods of the Manistee National Forest. Beautiful place. I went alone, just me and God. I'm not a huge outdoor person. I did ask a few friends how to be an outdoor person. They gave me some good advice, like put all your food in a cooler and up in a tree far away from your tent to keep the animals away from your tent. I did that. I also was afraid I'd run out of food, because I like to eat. And I packed lots of food, lots of trail mix, lots of trail mix. And so much trail mix it wouldn't all fit in my cooler. So I put some in this little box I had with my cooking stove in it, and then I forgot that it was in there. So I was in the middle of the Manistee National Forest in the middle of the night when it's blacker than blacker than blacker than blacker than black. And I thought it started to rain. Because I heard this kind of crunchy sound, crunching and pattering, and and I woke up and I wear contact lenses. If I took them out, I would be very, very blind. And I woke up in the middle of the night, very, very blind in the middle of the blackest of blackest of black, it's nice. And there is a bear outside of my tent eating my trail mix. As close as you and I are to, to each other. I was very scared. My knees were knocking. Okay, they, I literally thought I was going to die. Uh, I, I, I was praying like, God, what do I do? If I, I don't... I, I, I've literally never been more scared uh, in, in my life. And uh, I, I had bear spray, I had a flashlight, I had glasses, I couldn't find any of them. It was, and there was nobody around. There's nobody around. And I just waited it out. I just waited it out. I figured out the bear is eating something. Just eat that. Don't eat me. You know, just keep eating that. Just fill your stomach. Get filled up. And I just waited out until sunrise and I slept in my car uh, the rest of the trip, the rest of the <laughs> camping trip. I did. I did. It was, it, was a, it was very good. It was very good. So this is what's going on with Belshazzar here. The crap has hit the fan, and he, he's not powerful anymore. The high school football jersey doesn't do anything for him anymore. His power as king doesn't do anything anymore because he's experiencing a power greater than his. He's met an authority greater than his. And our culture tells each of us as individuals, you are the most powerful authority, You dictate what's true. You dictate what's right and what is wrong. And he meets an authority that dictates what's true, an authority that dictates what's right and what's wrong. And he's on the wrong side of things with that authority. We're all going to stand before God someday. Every single person on this planet is going to stand before God someday, and we're going to have a moment like this. This is his moment. It's the oh, crap moment. Oh, I was... I was wrong. I was wrong. And I'm on the wrong side of judgment. This is a very sobering moment for Belshazzar. So he brings his his sages and his wise people. We're going to skip those verses. They They can't interpret this writing on the wall. The queen mother comes in. She says, hey, there's this guy, Daniel. Daniel's an old man by this time. He's seen a lot. He's seen a lot of kings come and go All five of those kings, if you include Belshazzar, he's been there in Babylon for those. He's seen a lot. The queen says he can interpret things. He's got the spirit of God in him. They bring Daniel in to interpret the dream. We're going to skip down to verses 16 and 17. And not the dream, I'm sorry, I'm getting my Daniel stories mixed up. The wall, the writing on the wall to interpret the writing. And Belshazzar wants to make a deal with Daniel. And he says, if you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple, which is a very royal color, very rare at the time, and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So what we have to pause here because what Belshazzar is doing, he's offering relevance to Daniel. If you go back a couple of verses, Belshazzar starts this by saying, oh, aren't you one of those exiles? <laughs> You're one of those exiles of Judah, insignificant, powerless people. Well, I have have an offer for you, little exile. You can be the third most powerful person in the kingdom of Babylon. You can have a purple robe. You can have a gold chain around your neck. And I think we have to pause here as Christians in 2022 because the allure of relevance is very strong for us. The pull of relevance is very strong for us. It's not all bad. Some of it is. We have to be very careful and discerning. I grew up in the conservative Baptist church. A lot of good things came out of that. I found the gospel there. I found scripture there. Like many movements, we can look back and say, there were some things about my upbringing that I'm not proud of. Uh, My church was like one outside of the churches that were doing like rock and roll cassette tape burnings. Anyone, you know, familiar? <laughs> like, the, 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 the idea that, that you're like, rock and roll is of the devil. Keep the drums out of the church. And literally, like, we're going to burn the cassette tapes and things. We were like one ring outside of that. I had a friend of mine, a good friend from high school. He was a normal guy. played soccer, popular. But he went to a very, very conservative church. And he used to tell me—so uh, I was a youth group kid. I wasn't even—I wasn't allowed to listen to Secular music. When I was in high school, uh, I, I was allowed to listen to Christian music, and then the oldies, because that's what my parents listened to. Somehow that wasn't like... Wait, hold on. <laughs> Under the boardwalk? That, that's not very... That's not very wholesome. <laughs> Hopefully they were married. <laughs> right? Hopefully they were married. Uh, that was my upbringing, and Weird Al Yankovic as well. But uh, those are so. But my favorite bands were all Christian bands. And third day was my favorite band in high school. My conservative, conservative Baptist friend told me um, drums were from Satan, and any third day was satanic music because it had drums in it. Uh, these are things we, rightfully so, are embarrassed of as what we would, we would call ourselves modern, enlightened Christians in 2022. We see those things as actually repelling people from the gospel, right? And so we do things. We make church relevant for people, and that's good. We want church to be relevant for people. But I think sometimes we get really caught. There's a pendulum over here. You know what pendulums tend to do? They tend to swing over here. And pendulums swung, and this was kind of early 2000s for me in my early 20s, and I'm getting into ministry. and, And I'm reading books about how to be a cool Christian, really, they're like, here's how to be a cool Christian, here's how to be relevant to your culture. And I think in our desire to be cool Christians, we, we sometimes take it so far that we forget to speak truth to our culture. Like we forget to actually share the gospel with our culture. We act like um, the, the, if we just drink the right brand of craft beer and people know that I go to Riverview, all is well. Like they'll just flock to Jesus at that point. Like, oh my gosh, craft beer, Riverview? I want Jesus too, right? That'd <laughs> be great. We can't go too far. where We're actually kind of embarrassed of Jesus. We're, we're so cool and relevant, and I'm all for craft beer. I live in Grand Rapids now, and you know, all day IPA is, you know, it's great. But My point is, we go so far the other way, and I want you just to pause and think about this, the implications of your life. Have you gone so far that you don't share the gospel with people? You don't share the gospel with your friends? You don't talk about some of the truths of scripture that—and I'm guilty of this—I don't talk enough about how we're under God's wrath, and he's not pleased with us until we find Jesus. And once we do— Jesus has paid it all, and we're and we're going to get to that today. The good news starts with some bad news, though. And it's very important that we don't lose the message of the gospel in our attempts to be relevant for the gospel. It's very important for us today. Okay, so this pendulum is, is swinging here. Daniel is offered the robe. He's offered the power. He's offered relevance. You can imagine him going, think of what I could do for God. I could be third in the kingdom of Babylon as a follower of God, as a follower of the God of the Bible. I could have so much power and influence. Daniel's not allured. Here's his answer. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Here's why Daniel was not allured by Belshazzar's gift to him of this kingdom, this Babylonian kingdom. Daniel already had God's kingdom. Daniel already had God's kingdom. I told you Daniel was old. He's seen five kings come through Babylon. He was in Judah. He was at the original temple. He saw it all fall down. He has seen the temporary nature of earthly kingdoms and the temporary nature of earthly rulers and powers. He's seen it all in his lifetime. He's seen the emptiness of it. And he knows the king of kings. He knows the king of kings. And election season's coming up, Christians. And it is very important that we apply this to our lives. How many of us still worship our political party as if it is the king of kings, (laughs) as if it is the hope of the world? Daniel knows it's not and he's not allured by the gifts that Belshazzar gives him. And I'm saying, look, this is contextual. Joseph handled things differently. Younger in his life did, did take power within Egypt. Okay, I'm not saying that we apply this the same in every situation, But in Daniel's situation, this was a corrupt kingdom. The kingdom of Babylon was a very pagan, very corrupt. Daniel's old. He knows how temporary these things are. They don't have the allure to him. And so this offering that Belshazzar thought was amazing. This would be like offering Bill Gates or Elon Musk a a, a lifetime pass to the dollar store. Be like, hey, hey, Bill. Hey, Elon. Man, you guys are so great, so swell. I like you so much. I got you this pass. Go to any dollar store in the U.S., and you can buy anything you want. Be like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) Thank you, though. Daniel doesn't need the best of Babylon because he has the king of kings. He has the riches of the kingdom of God. And for us today, we need to, this morning, Meditate on what we have in the riches of Jesus. We need to meditate on what we have in the riches of Jesus. We need to rest in our king. We need to cast all of our cares onto our king because our king cares for us and our king wins. Jesus has the final say over evil. Jesus conquered sin on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty and we can rest in our king and we need to meditate and marinate on that. When that craving comes back, that led us back to verses one through four, the old way of fixing things, go get numb. What are you numbing out on? Is it power? Is it porn? Is it greed? Is it substance abuse? What are you numbing out on? What's your familiar fix that you think is going to work again? It didn't work last time, but maybe it'll work this time. Like Daniel, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you already have what you're craving. You already have what you're craving. The desire of your soul that's going back to these numbing agents That desire was designed to be met by the love of God. It was designed to be met by the the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in your life. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, you already have it. We just have to live into it. We have to sit with it. We have to marinate on it. I'm going to have to go quick here to get us through the rest of the chapter. 18 to 22, recap Nebuchadnezzar's humility. Verse 23 talking instead about Belshazzar. Instead, Belshazzar, you weren't humble. You've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank from them. We worship the created things rather than the creator. We worship the gods of this world rather than the creator. We worship sex, we worship men, we worship women, we worship relationships, we worship romance, rather than the creator of all these things. The creator of romance, who embodies romance, who is our groom, we are his bride, and he invites us into the true romance with him. 26 and 27, here's what these words mean. So Daniel's gonna go through the interpretation of what's written on the wall. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Johnny Cash. These are true for us today. These two lines are true for us today. Number one, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. All of our days are numbered. All of our days are numbered. I'm 39. When I was 29, I felt like I'd live a long time. When I was 19, I thought I would never die. Um, Those of you that are 49, 59, 69, 79, 89, you know it doesn't work that way. This, this week, uh, a classmate of mine from high school died. I just saw it on Facebook. And not a close friend, but an acquaintance from high school. We had classes together. We were friendly. And I was observing the not, uh, I, I don't, back then didn't seem like a believer. I don't know. Most of my high school classmates, not believers. I was noticing the comments underneath the Facebook post from my, my friends from high school, my non-believer friends, things like, This was a friend posting about the friend, mourning the loss of one of their close friends. And uh, a high school classmate said, sending thoughts your way, heart emoji. Positive vibes your way. Positive vibes? That's all you got? I just died? My loved one just died? You got positive vibes to send me? What?" I mean, we might be wrong about all this, but at least we got a shot, right? Like, we, we're like, I'm going to pray for you. Like, I think there's a good chance there's a God of the universe, and, and we need him. I could, I got an answer for this. I have hope. I have something to hold on to. Positive vibes. Our days are numbered, number one. Our days are numbered. We are not going to live forever. We live in a culture that tells us we're going to live forever. We live in a culture that tells us when things are crumbling, go back to the party, Positive vibes, let's go get drunk. Positive vibes, let's go numb out. More Netflix. More, 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 more. (laughs) Back to verses one through four. That's how we answer number one. Number two, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. These are the scales of judgment. Belshazzar didn't measure up. God's perfection, Belshazzar's here. You didn't do enough, Belshazzar. You didn't do enough. They're found wanting. There's not enough here. There's not enough here. Here's the truth about the story of humanity. This is Romans 2, verse 5. We're now, we skipped ahead to the New Testament now. Now we're looking at Jesus and the cross, post-Jesus, salvation, the invitation to you and to me. We've all been put on the scales of judgment. And guess what? We've all been found wanting. Belshazzar didn't do enough, and I haven't done enough, and you haven't done enough. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. There will be a righteous judgment where people that don't know Jesus are going to have a oh crap moment before God. We've all been found wanting. But there is good news. Belshazzar couldn't do enough. You can't do enough. I can't do enough. But Jesus did enough. Jesus did enough. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We are the unrighteous. Jesus is the righteous. We couldn't do enough. Jesus did enough on our behalf, dying for our sins. Belshazzar refused to humble himself, and he lost his kingdom. He died that night. That's how Daniel 5 ends, is with his death and the Persians taking over the Babylonian kingdom. Belshazzar refused to humble himself and lost his kingdom. Will you do the same? Will you follow in Belshazzar's footsteps, refusing to humble yourself before God? If you're not a believer, will you humble yourself before him today and say, Jesus, I need you to be righteous on my behalf. Will you let Jesus be your righteousness? And for those that are walking with Jesus, will you go to him? Will you go to him now? Will you go to him tonight? Will you go to him tomorrow instead of your familiar way of fixing things? Because your familiar way isn't working. And here's Jesus with arms open saying, I'm here, I'm the fix, I love you, I will hold you, meditate on my love for you. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I've paid it all. Come before me when things are crumbling all around you. And that earthly kingdom, guess what? It's going to pass away. But my kingdom never passes away. My kingdom never passes away, and you're a part of it. You're in it. You are with me, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We are so thankful that your kingdom never passes away. We are so thankful that you are our anchor in the storm. You are our shelter. You are our refuge. You are our strength. God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters in this room right now that are hurting, that are in pain, that they would fall into your open arms. They would experience the security of the gospel around them, the security of your kingdom around them the security of the hope that we have in you, that we have more than positive vibes. We have the king of kings. We have a kingdom that will never pass away. We have an empty tomb. And Jesus, we are so thankful. We are so thankful. We we continue to worship you this morning because we love you. Continue to draw us into your love. Continue to bring us back to center. Bring us back to center this morning. We love you, Jesus. Jesus.